Hello, good morning, and welcome. It's Friday, the 28th of August, 2020, and we're back-ish. I mean, technically, I'm still on summer break, but I had the chance to record this episode about two weeks ago, and it's just, in my opinion anyway, so fantastic that I really didn't want to delay getting it published any longer. So what we've got today is episode 160, in which I am joined by two fantastic guests, Michael Zema and Anna Kleisner. So Michael and Anna have been very much involved in some fascinating research um, through their respective universities. But to cut to the chase for a moment, Austria really risks losing its entire automotive manufacturing industry if it doesn't fully embrace electric vehicles in the coming decade. So yeah, if this sounds at all familiar, because yeah, that's exactly what happened to the UK. It's what happened to Detroit and to Pittsburgh. Um, you know, so, so, so it's a really big deal that this gets done correctly. And of course, as always the case, by virtue of discussing what needs to change in Austria for the electrification of its auto manufacturing industry, we will, of course, kind of segue this into a talk about what it means for the transition to an autonomous vehicle future, because, of course, um, right, that's enough of a preamble. Um, why don't we get started in just a moment? But first, a friendly reminder, if you haven't yet followed me on all social media at Autonomous Hogue, please do so. If you haven't yet dropped a five-star rating and written review over on Apple Podcasts, please do so. If you are a technology company in the autonomous or automotive space generally, and you're looking for any sort of strategy advice, please be sure to check us out at hoagandco.com. That's H-O-A-G-A-N-D-C-O.com. Check out our ever-growing team of experts around the world, almost all of which have PhDs in a related field. And speaking of which, next week, September 1, 2, and 3, we had been invited to attend the Austin, Texas-based Move America event, which was supposed to be held this month, but obviously due to COVID, derailing, well, everything. Of course, that's been moved online. We are nevertheless equally thrilled to be a part of it, uh, and we will be there next week. So again, that's September 1, 2, and 3. If you'd like to attend, but if for whatever reason you cannot obtain or do not have passes, not to worry, because of course we've got free passes to hand out. All you have to do is head on over to, you guessed it, our website at hoagandco.com. Again, that's H-O-A-G-A-N-D-C-O.com. Just plug in your email address and you'll get your link to download your passes right away. All right, then, why don't we dive in and get started? Episode 160 with Michael Zema and Anna Kleisner begins now. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Very cool. Well, in that case, um, why don't we uh, dive in and get started? Obviously, again, a huge thank you to both of you for joining me. So uh, I guess, Michael, if you'd like to kick it off. And uh, of course, uh, Anna, we'd love to hear introductions from both of you. Thanks, Mark. I'm happy to be here. Um, I started uh, with, I studied mechanical engineering and afterwards I did business engineering at the Technical University of Graz. And afterwards I wanted to know more about Asia. 
So I decided to go to Shanghai and did a second master in vehicle engineering at the Tongqi University. At the Tongqi University, I met um, Hans-Peter Kleibinder. He is um, a mobility expert and he did the study for the Austrian government. The Austrian government wanted to know how the drivetrain electrification influences the Austrian automotive industry. And as a mechanical engineer and, uh, and, 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 and a bit of nerd, he asked me to, to, to <laughs> join him, to join forces, and let's Sounds do this study right. together. <laughs> um, and so we quantified, we tried to quantify the, the, the effects of the drivetrain electrification for the Austrian government. Um, and so that's my story. Got it. And Anna, how do you and how do you loop into all this? Okay, uh, yes, I'm. Uh, for me, this study was a great challenge because I have absolutely no technical understanding of how a car really works technically. So uh, I'm an <laughs> and I'm working on the economic impact of industries and companies for twenty years now. Yeah, and the uh, automotive industry and the automotive economy yeah, are really challenging yeah, because they're something like a cross-section matter. It's not only the industry part, you have a lot of different sectors affected. And so it was uh, really a challenge to combine the technical experience Michael has and, and the economic understanding of how to put it in the into a system of national accounting. So... Uh, we had very long nights, yeah, and it was challenging, but I think we had have a really good uh, result now. Got it. Well, sounds great. So I guess then why don't we sort of dive in then to the actual meat of the research? I mean, so, Michael, you said that it's about the quantification of – you're trying to quantify the electrification of drivetrains generally, but how is this defined? In other words, quantification of what precisely? You know, what's your hypothesis here? Like, is it an issue – with respect to the impact on traffic, net energy consumption, pollution, maybe the average distance driven uh, by electric vehicle owners? What, what's the focus here? Uh, the focus of the study was the Austrian industry. Uh, Austria is a very small country, but we have a lot of hidden champions uh, that we are world-class manufacturers for combustion engines. Um, but with the shift towards electric drivetrains, our knowledge, our basically 100-year-old knowledge will not be as needed anymore. Mm. And we quantified the influence on the industry. How can our companies, how can our industry survive? Um, Anna will, uh, I think, tell you not only the industry, we did the whole automotive economy. I think I will hand over to Anna to, to she can explain what mm -hmm. the automotive economy is. Mm -hmm, please. Yeah, um, that's what I said before. It's it's not only the automotive industry because this one only includes the production of a motor vehicle or motor vehicle components. Yeah, the the more important part is everything combined with the automotive industry, and that's uh, also the the retail sector, the whole uh, wholesale sector. We have rental services, taxis. Um, we have the logistics, uh, technical inspectations, repair services, machinery. Uh, we have to build roads, bridges, tunnels, uh, 
we have the industry of, of reducing tires. So it's it's a very broad um, focus we have, and and we take we have to take everything into account when we talk about electrification and uh, how it would affect the economy. Got it. Okay, so this really is a huge broad sweeping question and a really big problem, frankly. I mean, literally, you're saying that Austria is a country which built its entire, at least, automotive industry on the essence of, well, mechanical engineering, shall we say. And the question now becomes, how do you transition to an industry built around, well, electrical engineering, right? That, that's the big overarching thing here. Definitely, yes. This, this is the uh -huh. issue for Austria. And our policy, because there are a lot of uh, um, employees in this industry, and right. this industry offers um, good workplaces with good paid hours, and it really contributes to our economy as a whole. So politics, the industry, everyone has a huge interest in staying ahead of time and managing the shift towards electric drivetrains. Um, just as a sneak peek, maybe I, I, I want to tell you, our big companies, our big suppliers like Magna, worldwide operating companies, they do a pretty good job in the shift, in this electric drivetrain shift. But I, I literally pulled them up on the website in front of me. I was going to ask you, Magna Stair, obviously one of the largest factories, uh, certainly in Austria, if not the, all of Europe, perhaps, right? Uh, yeah, not all of Europe, but definitely the biggest in Austria. Um, okay. I had the honor to work for Magna Steyr. Um, and Magna Steyr is a contract manufacturer. Uh, that means BMW, for example, comes to Magna Steyr and wants to have 50,000 BMWs in one year to produce because they can't do it in their own facilities. That is what uh, Magna Steyr does. Mm -hmm. And they're doing a pretty good job. They develop a lot of um, parts for electric drivetrains, also as a supplier, um, also for hydrogen and hydrogen vehicles in the future. Yeah. But our backbone is like the mid-sized companies. We're talking about 50 to 200 employees that do a really good job. Um, maybe world-class manufacturers with knowledge that no one else exists. There is a bigger issue. Um, the issue is that the before Corona, the, the books, were, they were fully booked. They had amazing um, contracts with the big car manufacturers like BMW, Audi, all over the world. And they don't seem to realize how quick the change to electric drivetrains can come or will, how quick it will go. And this is a huge danger for our industry, because at the moment, they're earning a lot of money doing what they do best. But in 10 years, when we, I think, all agree that what we can all agree to is that combustion engines is not a growth market anymore. It will mm -hmm. decline. And the electric uh, drivetrains, this is the future growth market. Um, um, they will be in trouble. So they need to use the time now. They need to invest now when they um, when they have the good um, deals with the big how car much, companies. How much of this do you think is simply an innocent failure not to recognize 
the immediacy of the transition to electric vehicles from combustion engine, as opposed to an active resistance. Like, is it just an innocent mistake or is it a very active resistance to the change for many obvious and indeed legitimate reasons? Obviously, it's not as simple as flipping a switch to transition the entire workforce from, say, mechanical to electrical vehicles, right? So would you say it's one sort of one or the other? Um, hmm. it's, I think it's a hybrid. It's, it's, it's hard to tell because when I look at myself, you know, I uh, studied in a university in, 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 in Austria, uh, mechanical engineering. I worked for Porsche. I worked for Audi. I worked for Magna Steyr. Um, I was in this whole automotive world in, in, in Europe. And before I did go to China, I knew electric vehicles were coming but I did not realize how quick the, I, I don't know, the change for the industry, the threat will come. Um, China opened my eyes. When I saw in China um, how many electric vehicles are already on the road, when I saw in China that um, um, the, 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 the bikes, the, the uh, motorcycles are all electric, it's like, a glimpse in the future. And when, when I did come back after two years in China, I realized we are far behind and this comes quicker than we all might know. So I think it's, it's yeah, it is both an innocent mistake, but also keeping a blind eye on it and, and, and refusing to look in the future and, and, mm -hmm. and just trying to maintain what we do best at the moment and not what can happen in the future. Sure, sure. And Anna, this is maybe a question for you. Uh, how, how great is the magnitude of risk to Austria's economy as a whole? Um, obviously, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about analogies, two, two analogies that come to mind. So one of them, I guess, is the UK, how as the UK lost virtually all of its industrial manufacturing, right? several decades ago, not least in which automotive. And similarly in the US, uh, I'm sure you're all very well, well acquainted with and familiar with what happened to the likes of Detroit and say Pittsburgh, right? The former with automotive, the latter with, I guess, steel. And how these cities basically just imploded and failed. And now they're starting to come back ironically with automotive again, but indeed to the point of this conversation, they're coming back precisely because of the shift to, well, actually autonomous and electric vehicles, right? So, so I guess my question is, is what is the magnitude of this risk to Austria as a whole? Is it something potentially as severe as what impacted the UK and say Pittsburgh or Detroit? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, we calculated different scenarios, yeah, from a very slow transformation uh, towards the electrification of cars to an extremely fast scenario, yeah? And we had something like a realistic scenario, and then we see that we can lose almost 3 to 6% of our GDP, of our yeah. value added. And it's even worse uh, with the employment effects because here we um, see that we can lose up to 24,000 jobs in Austria, and that's, that's a lot <laughs> for a yeah. small country like Austria um, sure. because we all have 
uh, around um, 400,000 people working in the automotive economy. It's um, up to up to uh, six or seven percent, yeah, that we can lose here, yeah, and we have no idea where we should uh, uh, put the people uh, because um, we are, yeah, we are. We, we didn't start uh, with the structural change. Yeah, we, we we need to set a course and we need a framework um, so that our companies um, can benefit from this change. Yeah, but that's something that hasn't been done. Yeah, um, our industry has a lot of know-how and we have very successful companies. Yeah, um, but we could use our good conditions with with our energy system yeah towards the uh, mobility transformation uh, but we are yeah just at the beginning yeah and it's something we really have to push now yeah and we will lose uh, yeah it's 24,000 jobs and it's um, up to three percent of our GDP yeah when we don't react yeah that's that, that is huge obviously uh, and what is the time frame that you anticipate I mean are we talking potentially the next 10 years or even five years? Like what's, at what point does it become a very practical, tangible, uh, you know, this is actually impacting us now rather than this is theoretically impacting us in the future? Yeah, we were calculating the next 10 years till 2013. Um, yeah. And it's getting worse after 2013 mm. because uh, till then it's, it's still... Um, we have lots of uh, combustion engines remaining uh, uh, on on on, this, on the street, yeah, and it's still the largest group, yeah. But then uh, hybrid um, engines and and uh, the electrification will really take off. So uh, whatever we want to do, yeah, we have to do it till two thousand and thirty, yeah. Because yeah, that's that's sort of what I anticipated as well. Mm. Yeah. So, so I mean, what I mean, this is obviously the three percent of GDP question. Uh, what I mean, what is the the sort of what is the idea of the solution? What does that solution look like? I mean, and furthermore, is the solution is the change something which is done at the national level or strictly at the private level? And indeed, with respect to supporting employees who would inevitably lose their work, obviously being Austria, being in the EU. Well, let's face it, being anywhere not the USA, obviously you have already a vastly better support network for people when they do lose their jobs. I get that. But but what does it look like, this transition, um, nationally, privately, or otherwise? Yeah, what we really need now is something like a, a framework that's set by the politicians. Yeah. Mm. And it's something like a cross-sectoral master plan. It's not only the automotive industry we have to uh, take care of, yeah? It's all the industries too, because it, it doesn't really help if we uh, push electrification, yeah? If we don't have um, an, an additional offensive in the field of sustainable and renewable uh, driving technologies, and um, we need... Uh, green energy yeah um, to use because otherwise it doesn't really make sense yeah uh, we need this energy turnaround yeah that's a, a central demand in my opinion for electromobility yeah 
and we need something like a draining offensive for our existing workers in the automotive industry because they um, they are not only um, working on a car like it is now. They need uh, more understanding of all this uh, technical stuff that's uh, coming with the electrification. But I'm sure mm -hmm. he knows this so much better than me. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it, it, I think I think for non-engineers, it's very easy to say, oh, you're, in a you're a mechanical engineer, you can easily switch to electrical and vice versa. Obviously, it's not that simple. It's not a trivial thing at all. Um, well, so what about with respect to Magnesteia itself? I mean, as a company, I mean, putting aside for a moment the issue with, I don't know what word to use, retraining, which again, that just seems, that seems a very silly word choice. You can't just retrain en masse all these employees. But as a company as a whole, I mean, are they potentially, um, you know, flexible? Is this something that they are able and willing to start to tackle? In my opinion, um, there is no choice. They need to. And I think the big companies, as I said, they're doing a good job. They're investing in their human capital. Uh, they train them. They also invest in the right technologies to stay ahead uh, of the competition. But I think especially with the education system um, and as a mechanical engineer, I think we need to rethink the way vehicle engineering is taught in our universities. Um, I think now um, new, as you said, new capabilities come in the forefront uh, starting with software engineering. Yeah, new cars are basically not dependent on how good the gear set works. New cars are dependent on how good the software works. It's much more likely that a car doesn't work because of the software than as the gear set is, 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 has a malfunction. But well, we wait, wasn't this true for all BMWs and Mercedes forever? <laughs> there was always a software problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is definitely true for the, for, the, for the German automotive industry as a whole. We built very good cars, but we don't do a good job with software yet. <laughs> Actually, funny enough, I obviously said that just completely as a joke, but the joke has a lot of relevance now for this conversation because, indeed, that is precisely the issue. There, this there is precisely the issue. Yeah. So I didn't yeah, yeah. see it as a joke. We, yeah. we came to truth now. So, so <laughs> now they are far behind. Yeah. Far yeah. Behind. Well, so look, we're, we're sort of talking around the central question. The central question, the main issue is literally, practically, what what do you do? How do you transition an entire workforce of mechan mechanical engineers to electrical? Like literally, practically, how is this done? What does this look like? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That is a good question with a really, really difficult answer to give. I know that uh, 
And, and sorry, Michael, just very quickly to interrupt, sorry. Uh, and, and, and the reason why I'm asking it so directly is because obviously, as you probably know, we have the exact same thing here in the US, but for a slightly different industry, right? For energy, right? So, so the big question here is, oh, um, you know, shut down all the coal all the coal power plants. And the question is, well, what do all the coal miners and the coal power plant operators do? And indeed, even the truck drivers say when their trucks, truck driving jobs get replaced by autonomous trucks. And everybody says this really, I think, offensive throwaway response, which is, oh, teach them how to code. You're not going to teach a 50-year-old, almost retired coal miner or truck driver how to start developing the latest iOS app. That's just not realistic. Right. And so that's the analogy that I'm looking at this from. Right. How do you do this? Yeah, you're totally right. Um, we basically, I just discussed it with a friend. We have the same problem here. We said, how will a 50 year old mechanical engineer, um, a genius in uh, 3D drawings, a genius in, 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 in something not related to future technologies, and his knowledge will not be needed in, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, I think there is two things that we need. A stable framework from politics. Yes, politics often shifts. Now electrification is coming or now we invest in green energy. And then at the next uh, government, there is a shift again. And so what the industry needs is a stable framework so that they can rely on the investments they take today uh, for the future. And the industry needs to invest hugely in their employees. They just need to invest hugely in their employees because if they don't, we will see a disaster in the employment market here in Europe, US, everywhere around the world. Um, not yeah, not bringing our employees to the new technologies and leaving them behind and in worst case getting laid off because yeah, but, they don't but, need but, it anymore. I mean, but, but just to really kind of unpack this discussion in a lot of detail, okay? I mean, and maybe these are not even fair questions because, I mean, again, the whole point of this conversation, the whole point of your studies, the point is nobody, maybe nobody really knows. But when you say framework, when you say companies need to properly invest or reinvest in their employees, but again... Practically, what does that even mean? Because as you just said, you cannot just retrain somebody overnight. So is it a matter of investing in terms of just greater, I don't know, financial support for people who lose their jobs? I mean, what does that practically look like? The framework, um, for instance. The framework, I think we, the good thing is we have the next 10 years. So it will not come overnight, this shift. In 10 years, sure. The, Fast majority of, of, of vehicles on the road will still be with a, driven by a combustion engine. So we at least have 10 years to retrain the stuff and we still need our old competences. Um, well, that's true. Maintenance will still be a thing for a long time down the road. Maintenance will be, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah. So we, this is not a shift that comes overnight. But I think the importance of the study is if we don't start today, if we start in 10 years, it's too late. So, so that's true. And, and a lot of people, though, also try to throw a different angle on this. And I think it's a bit, um, I think at best, 
it's it's sort of useless a comment and at worst it just completely misses the point uh people often say things like and actually now that i say this i think i've even asked similar questions uh during the industrial revolution and say when the automobile first arrived many other people lost their jobs for example i don't know the people the the, the blacksmith would make the horseshoes for the horses you know, they lost their jobs, you know, or when we had automatic uh, tolling for the freeways, for the Autobahn, right? Uh, people yeah. who would collect the tolls, they lost their jobs and so on. You know, people always try to use these throwaway arguments. Oh, it's happened in the past. Therefore, it doesn't matter today. Um, isn't that sort of backwards, though? Isn't a better way to say it? Yeah, it happened in the past. And look how bad it was. We need to prevent that. Yeah? Definitely. I totally okay. agree with it. We need to look in the past and see we can do something and we can do it now. I think the race is, it's not too late. We can do it. If we start today, we will have a good chance to master the change and to be on top again. Mm -hmm. And Anna, this might be a question for you again as well. Um, so is the, th this framework that Michael keeps mentioning. Um, so, so it, it sounds like this, indeed would be something at the government level for sure, right? So this is not something that could be, I guess, implemented by or, I guess, structured by private companies. This is indeed something at the national level. Yes, um, I think if you look at the automotive industry as, as a whole, yeah, then I would say it's something you have to resolve on the on the national level, yeah? I don't care so much about the our large companies, yeah? They are globalized and, and yeah, I think they are. Uh, yeah, they are at the state of the art uh, regarding research and development and um, all these things. Yeah, the, 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 it's more difficult with the small and medium-priced enterprises. Yeah, they they do not have a lot of research and and we know when when you don't develop, yeah, then you will lose. Uh, turnover, you will, uh, uh, your market share will decline, the exports will decline, and, and then we have the problem, and then it's too late. So uh, I think the politicians are the ones that have to um, provide the incentives. Yeah? And when we have something like a carbon tax, yeah, uh, then I think the structures will, will really shift. Yeah? And then we have the incentives from the consumer side. Yeah? And then it's even faster, yeah? The development is even faster than it is now, yeah? So uh, I think from a national point of view, we really have to push it and we especially have to push it in the small and medium-priced enterprises. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and something just occurred to me. Uh, what about, you know, wouldn't it make... So, so one of the things we've been seeing a lot, and this actually might be a pretty good segue to discuss how this loops in with autonomous vehicles. But one of the things that we've been seeing a lot of uh, in the past couple of years is traditional automotive manufacturers partnering. In, instead of trying to develop their own autonomous vehicle technology, they are instead partnering with smaller autonomous vehicle technology startups, right? And, and because the, the, the large automobile manufacturers realize they don't have the expertise to develop an entire hardware software stack for AV applications, and conversely, the autonomous vehicle startups realize they don't have the expertise nor the financial or industrial resources to build their own cars, uh, right? 
And so, so I wonder, um, and so that, that partnership between those two types of companies makes a lot of sense. That's why we've been seeing this happen so much, right? So I wonder whether there's any reality that makes sense where part of this transition, part of this framework does something along the lines of facilitating precisely those kinds of partnerships. So for example, think of Magnestaya. Like, would it make sense to try to, by the way, am I finally pronouncing that correctly? Yes. Perfect. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I was rather embarrassed at my Americanism earlier. Sorry. Uh, right. So, so would it make sense, for example, to see whether there's a way with which uh, companies with whom Magna Shaya could actually partner up uh, so that this transition can go more smoothly, so that rather than trying to do this alone, indeed, they're working with other uh, companies with expertise in that space, of course. Um, I agree with you. I think this is a huge uh, or a very important step towards a, a successful change. And I think this open innovation um, um, that you talked about um, um, is key. We need to work with innovative small companies because this kind of innovation is almost impossible in these huge companies with thousands of employees and all the bureaucracy that is sometimes turning a blind eye on innovation and yeah i mean i mean so so to be blunt about it i mean do you think that companies like magnesteyer or let's just pick on them specifically mostly just because i love saying their name <laughs> um <laughs> do, do you do you think that they would actually practically be open to such things as not just partnerships but indeed full-on acquisitions of smaller companies uh, small i say smaller but i mean yes yeah, smaller uh, focused electrification or indeed even autonomous technology companies, would they potentially be open to that sort of thing, you think? I think so, yes, 100%. I think as I think the big car companies in Germany, um, they're already doing so. They're purchasing uh, startups. They're working with startups hand in hand, um, especially in, in AV, as you said, but also in EV. So Magna Steyr, I don't know. I don't have an example for Magna Steyr, but I'm 100% sure that they do. And I know that, especially in innovation, they work very closely with my old university, the Technical University of Graz, and they use the resources of the uh, university and of the startups around the university, of the students that they that, uh, that they build up. So yes, they do that. Yes, they need to. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, it makes sense. Well, look, before we transition to how this all ties in with autonomous vehicle technology, um, two quick points, just as an aside, I have to ask. <clears throat> question number one is about Tesla. Te- question number two is about, you said hydrogen vehicles as well. So battery cell, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, yeah, fuel cell rather. Um, how much of a risk, so there's a lot of discussion, obviously, about the risk that Tesla specifically, and I've learned not to focus too much on Tesla on this podcast because then people just accuse me of being a Tesla advertisement. But look, I think it's a, I think it's a valid question. How much of a risk specifically does Tesla pose to the automotive industry as a whole in Germany? Is it as real as people say, or rather, does it offer validation that indeed this shift needs to come? Because obviously, ever since Dieselgate, we've seen that Volkswagen have done a really good job kind of pivoting around to focus on an electrified future. Obviously, Mercedes is starting to do that more, BMW as well. But Tesla specifically, is it a risk or is it a really benign validation? In my opinion, Tesla is 
a huge risk for the German automotive industry. Um, why? I think two main events made or, or did the wake-up call for the German automotive industry. Once was Tesla. In 2013, when I worked for one of the big car manufacturers in Germany, they bought a Tesla and they looked at it very closely and they had not a lot of respect towards the Tesla. They, I think they, I read about this. This was public news, wasn't it? I think I've heard this story. Um, possibly. You know, they, they, yeah. they, they looked at the manufacturing and said, this is low quality. They never can compete with us. Seven years later, we see what they did to the, um, how can I say, to the stock exchange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And the second th thing is the Dieselgate. So these two things, Tesla and Dieselgate, I think are in, in, are in charge of the shift in the German automotive industry and are in charge of rethinking the industry. I think without Tesla and without Dieselgate, there would have been no change or the change would have been much slower in the German automotive I, industry. I think we can all agree on that. Yes, I agree that they were certainly the catalyst. I'm just wondering whether they're indeed a real risk or, as I say, a validation. But it sounds like you agree they are a very real risk, not just a beneficial validation. Yeah, makes sense. And then, Anna, I think you mentioned earlier, uh, I think I think it was you who touched briefly on, you mentioned at least, uh, hydrogen vehicles. Am I correct? Did you not say something about this earlier? It can be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, I'm just curious because I wanted to kind of touch on that. Obviously, it turns up a lot, a lot in conversation, and you might be familiar then with the work that um, Toyota have been doing. Uh, they've built yeah. this thing called Woven City, and I know that one of their focal, focal points is indeed uh, hydrogen vehicles. Uh, I, we, I've gone on the record many times saying that I am just not a fan of the idea of hydrogen technology at all for automotive, not least of which because it just seems like a very peculiar step backwards, building a whole other set of infrastructure of refueling some sort of a fluid which goes into a car. I don't care if it's a fluid in liquid state or a fluid in gas state or otherwise, it's still a fluid and it just seems ridiculously backwards to me. Are, are you a fan? I mean, do you, do you support this? Are, are you enthusiastic about it? Am I wrong? <laughs> what, what do you think? Um, yeah, that's difficult. Uh, from a personal point of view, I'm not a fan. <laughs> yeah, because I don't think that we uh, are the best nation uh, to be a, a hydrogen nation. Yeah. On the other hand, I'm very close to pol uh, with my work to politicians, and we're working for two years now on on hydrogen power and yeah, Austria said they want to become the hydrogen nation number one. No idea how they want to reach this goal, but they want to. So I think we don't we don't have the uh, the the, the uh, it's not the question if we want to have it or not. Yeah, I think we can not decide it. It's um, it's more a global development. Yeah, and yeah, we have to join this this development. Yeah. So, so you're not concerned that it potentially disfocuses? I mean, you're not concerned there's some sort of mutual exclusivity here? Uh, because I'm just thinking, for instance, uh, just sort of intuitively, I mean, thinking, well, thinking the way a startup would think. I mean, generally, it's good to focus on one particular thing, obviously. I mean, is there not a risk that it might yeah, sort of disfocus from the, uh, I guess, a more 
yeah, a more targeted approach on pure battery electric rather than, in this case, fuel cell building out a whole other set of infrastructure. Should I answer that? Yeah, I guess that wasn't really a question mark at the end. Okay. Sorry, it was more of a statement. I think I think this is a very, very interesting topic. And I, as an engineer, think that these two technologies are not in competition to each other because we will see both on the road. Um, long distances and heavy weights is perfect for hydrogen vehicles. I'm talking about trucks. I'm talking about um, trains, maybe in the future planes and ships. Perfect for hydrogen vehicles. And it does not make sense to put in a heavyweight truck, like with 40 tons, for example, uh, a battery. Because the battery needs to be so big that it, one, it reduces the load that the truck can transport. And uh, second, the weight will reduce the efficiency of the, of the electric drivetrain. And so the whole benefit is gone. But when we talk of cities, of stop and go traffic, of low uh, uh, carriages, of short distances, of light vehicles, there is nothing better than the electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. And you make a good point about the heavy, long distance type modes of transport. Am I, if I'm not mistaken, the energy density of hydrogen is roughly one third of gasoline, correct? Yes. I okay, which so. in turn is which in turn is uh, what ten or twelve times that of electricity. I'm forgetting now the conversion. But your point is, yeah, I hadn't thought of it in that sense. That, that is so. That that is a good point. It is closer in parity, I guess, to gasoline. That's true. Yes. Yes. Um, definitely. So, but, but um, I like that argument, right? You're right about limiting it to a certain mode of transport. That, that's 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 probably the most compelling. That might actually be the only compelling argument that I've ever heard. So I like it. <laughs> <laughs> interesting okay okay so all right then let's see i wanted to okay so look we, we definitely should uh, kind of shift this into autonomous vehicles of course um so i've often said forever i think we can all agree that any company let's see any company not developing autonomous and electric vehicles will either be dead or dying in about 10 years um and I guess, I think previously it was sort of a chicken and egg question. People were asking, well, one's going to lead to the other. But I think we're, it's safe to say that these are now being really developed uh, concurrently uh, in parallel, I guess. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I guess I'm just wondering, uh, what, what do you think it's going to take for a broader adaptation? I mean, obviously here in, well, obviously in California, Tesla is everywhere, you know, but in many other markets... Um, the, 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 the consumer acceptance of electric vehicles is going to be obviously a lot slower. Similarly, of course, with autonomous vehicles, and indeed why we've been running this, this survey uh, for the last several months, um, is precisely to understand, well, consumer acceptance of an autonomous vehicle future. So without sort of tailoring a specific question here, I just want to kind of open it up to, to, to both of you. What are your thoughts generally on how this future looks, how it unfolds, and kind of what leads to what? In my opinion, 
um, um, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm maybe alone with this opinion, I think autonomous vehicles will take much longer than everyone is expecting. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I don't think you're alone there. No, that, that's valid. Okay, that's valid. Okay, so I don't think that we will see an autonomous vehicle anytime soon that can drive from the Rocky Mountains down to Key West and you just put in the address. I think what we will see is a slow progression, like a lot of small steps leading to a bigger picture. Um, I think that the revolution of autonomous vehicles will start in Asia, especially in Asian cities. I think that autonomous vehicles will start in mega cities in certain areas, testing areas where it may work and where they can test it. And, and from there on, it will progress. But I think it maybe can take 20 years it's a rough guess, you know, it's, it's, it's just looking in the future, but I think it maybe can take 20 years till we have a fully autonomous vehicle driving us from point A to point B over every mountain trail that we know over, over, over. So, yes, yeah, so I think the development will be slower than expected. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, also, I guess it depends a lot on how we're defining these things, right? I mean, so I think it's safe to say that absolutely, with respect to level five vehicles, those are further away than we had hoped. Yes. At a minimum of 10 years and realistically pushing 20 years. But what I've often said for a long time, that I think that we should therefore be focusing on level four vehicles and to effectively treat them as virtual trains. So limit them only to certain roads, maybe even yeah. certain driving conditions, and that's the end of it. I mean, as, I, as I've often said, nobody complained that a train was, was restricted to its track. You know, yeah. that's, that's the whole point of a train. Yes, <laughs> and, yes, and, and so I agree. Think, right? And so, so to your point about the Rocky Mountains to Florida, I guess I would just challenge that by saying, yes, I agree with you that, yeah, we're not going to have a level five vehicle doing that within 10 years. You're right. Um, but on the other hand, what do you think about a level four vehicle? So there is a dedicated road, or more realistically, there's a dedicated lane on certain roads, which would enable it to go safely from the Rocky Mountains to Florida, but only on those lanes or only on those roads. Wouldn't that qualify? That would qualify, definitely. So I, I yeah. think maybe we are able to drive 60% of, 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 the, of, the, of the track autonomously. Definitely. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Anna, um, I wanted to, I want to loop this back to actually uh, the, the economic study model that you, that you developed. I mean, so, and this actually loops back to the very first thing we discussed generally 
Uh, one of the things that I've heard, at least anecdotally, is that Tesla owners in the UK drive further and more frequently than owners of any other vehicle, period. And I haven't fact-checked this, but it doesn't surprise me at all. I definitely believe it for two reasons, not least of which because, as I mentioned, my wife and I, now that we own a Tesla as well, yeah, we're definitely driving more and further than ever before. And this is due to two reasons, right? Well, three reasons. One, it's obviously roughly one-third the price of, you know, electricity here in California right now is roughly one-third the price of gasoline. Two, it's true. Even the minimally borderline, uh, I won't use the word autonomous because everybody's going to yell at me. Sorry, the, 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 really, the reasonably good ADAS systems of Tesla uh, do make traffic much more bearable. It's not an awful thing anymore to sit in traffic. This is a fact. And so, yeah, we do tend to drive further and more often. So, so that's why I kind of do believe this anecdotal story that you know, people tend to drive further and more often in a Tesla. But, but then there was the World Economic Forum study uh, several years ago in Boston, which, with which you're perhaps familiar, that showed that if indeed we have a proliferation of electric and indeed autonomous vehicles, but if it's not also the case that we have some sort of mechanisms to minimize uh, private, you know, private vehicle use versus shared, um, if there isn't a way to incentivize yeah, shared vehicles to make sure that we don't have empty autonomous cars driving around, then in fact, this is going to have a profoundly adverse, a negative impact on, well, everything, not just traffic, but then all the ancillary secondary effects of traffic, which would have an adverse effect, of course, on the economy as a whole, right? So, so I guess my question is, how, what is this? I'm, so Anna, I guess to, to finally give you a targeted question here, I guess what I'm asking is, does, does any of your research, any of your studies generally uh, touch on any of these issues? How best to streamline the deployment of these autonomous electric vehicles without the negative impacts on traffic? I didn't uh, work on any study yeah, regarding this topic. Yeah. Um, what we were working on um, was the question how could you put incentives yeah, to, to develop uh, the electrical vehicles in Austria. Yeah? And it's the first time now that we have something like uh, an incentive because you get money yeah, um, to bear the higher costs. Yeah? And it's completely new for us, and I think it's going to be pushed with, with Corona now, uh, because a lot of money is, is going to be put uh, into this. Uh, what we don't think at the moment yeah, is that there are too many more cars on the street. Yeah, That's something we didn't have in our calculations until 2030. I don't know uh, if it's worse afterwards. I really have no idea. Yeah, no, that, that's valid. And then, yeah, my, my mistake then for for assuming a, an overlap in the in those two, admittedly very different types of research. Uh, so sorry for mm -hmm. that. But but nevertheless, I think it's a valid thing to consider, right? I mean, but you're right. I, I guess obviously, maybe as they say, let's not put the what is it? Let's not put the cart before the horse. <laughs> let's first <laughs> of all let's first of all worry about getting to that electrified and indeed semi 
automated future, right? And then perhaps we can start to worry about the traffic issues. Maybe that's the way to do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have we don't have to care about the traffic issues at the moment. <laughs> we have, yeah, yeah, that's right. Clearly, however, you have not driven in California anytime soon. <laughs> I just wanted to say, when you drive in LA, you will change this opinion. Also, when you drive in Shanghai in rush hour, um, I think <laughs> that, that then you know this we need true. to tackle these problems now. No, um, this, is, this is certainly true. I'll give you a funny example, actually. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a stretch of road that we drive here, which in the absence of traffic is only one hour and a half. But with traffic, it can be two hours, 40 minutes. Yeah. So it's it's a pretty uh, alarming thing. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. And I think it's also an, an economic fallout that we have. The time we spend in our cars, not productively. Well, that was my point of the question. Exactly. There's a lot of secondary. Yeah, exactly. It's horrible. And I think this problem with the um, traffic jams, can only be tackled with a shift in consumer behavior. It does not make sense to exchange a combustion engine with an electric engine and the electric uh, um, vehicle with an, with an automated electric vehicle. No, we need a change in consumer behavior. We need to have an acceptance for a shared mobility. This is the only way how we can tackle this problem and how we can free our cities of cars. Um, I mean, you're right, but that is obviously, I would say even, a, that, that's an even bigger challenge, I think, even than the, well, frankly, I think it's an even bigger challenge than the engineering challenge in many respects. Yes. I mean, I'm not embarrassed to admit as somebody who lived many years in Los Angeles and, and even here in Northern California, I mean, look, the truth is, yeah, we, we love having our own car, especially our Tesla, we love that. Um, yeah. And especially now with COVID, obviously, who wants to share a car with anybody else? And so, so you're right. It's, it's going to require a really profound shift in behavior. But that I, I, I've used a really weird analogy in the past to describe this, like how this can look. Um, smoking. When you think about it, smoking as a, as a normal cultural behavior, at least in certain parts of the world, it became less cool when Hollywood made it less cool. I'm serious. Yeah. If you think about it, right? Like, like I don't think it was the packaging and the, the, the reduced advertising. I think it's the fact that Hollywood celebrities on the big screen smoke less. I, I really, I really actually, this is my personal like theory, you know? And so I, I guess what I'm saying is I think that this is one of those areas in which media, pop, pop media, popular media could actually have a really big impact. So the, 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 the kind of joke that I always said was, I'm sure that very soon we're going to see James Bond with a new, electric Aston Martin, you know, uh, because of course, and, and, if, you know, I, I just think that that's the only way you can get a huge step change cultural shift. I don't, you can't for, you can't force people to want to do this stuff. I mean, either they do or they don't. Yes. 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 So just in comparison, I thought in Europe, especially in the huge cities there, we have already this. I thought we, we are on the right track. We 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 changing our behavior. We are more open towards this sharing economy. Um, That's true. But you guys also have a lot. You've done a lot more in the way of um, economic subsidies, right? There's a lot of financial incentives to do this stuff, right? Yes. Yes, definitely. Right. And I think well, also so China, is, yeah. especially in mm -hmm. China, where cars are so expensive yeah. um, that it's for 
a lot of Chinese inhabitants not possible to own a car by themselves. Uh, there will this this sharing economy will be a huge step in the right direction. The only thing what I think with what comes with this sharing is what is with our car industry? Will be if we are in a sharing economy, is the brand like as you uh, Tesla, is that important? Or will it just so, be mm-hmm. from A to B? Yeah, so so this is something I've asked a lot of times, and I'll ask you directly right now. So take BMW, for example. How do you how do they market the ultimate driving machine if you're not driving it anymore? <laughs> right? Definitely. Definitely. I think this is a huge problem. I just yeah. read a paper uh, from China and Didi. Uh, Didi is the Uber from yeah. China. Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. it's it's even bigger than Uber um, in total numbers. Um, Actually, Apple, Apple invested in them. Oh, really? I didn't know that. It's very interesting. But Didi started a, a project developing their own cars for autonomous uh, driving. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a research project. Um, but what they aim to do, they try to build a car optimized for autonomous driving, optimized for the space, optimized for uh, the passenger inside to use the time wisely mm-hmm. and what if um, a, a distributor like Didi or Uber come up with their own car they all look the same maybe there are two variants premium and economy mm-hmm. what will Daimler what will BMW do yeah. if millions use it I think this will be a huge challenge maybe the biggest challenge for the automotive manufacturers um, Agreed. I, I mean, I, I think the easy ex- the easy answer. I mean, it's sort of a throwaway answer. I mean, if you just look at the upper bound of what this reality looks like, which is literally just a box with wheels. Obviously, the the uh, competitive advantage is going to come down to just how comfortable and nice and luxurious the interior is. I mean, really, it's going to be no different to an airplane. I've always said, what's the difference between a tube with wings or a box with wheels? Right. I mean, that's yeah. The, that is the only thing. I don't think, yeah. Huh. All right. Yeah. Well, look, with, with, with this, mm-hmm, please. No, I think, I think short term, the car manufacturers definitely will see a lower global vehicle production. So they will not sell as many cars as they used to. If long term they get replaced by a box with cars, maybe. I think it's hard to tell from, from, the perspective that we have right now, I think maybe Porsche will have an advantage because there is so much, how can I say it, a passion and, and well, yeah, racing. I, I think the purely sporting cars will always be around in the same way we have horses. You know, that's definitely, not going to change. Definitely, yes, right. I agree the, with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we talk about VW, uh, BMW, Audi, Daimler, yeah. I think they maybe will have a problem. So maybe they will be degraded to a box manufacturer. (laughs) 
I, I, yeah, I, that's a wonderful sentence. BMW and Mercedes degraded to a box manufacturer. Yeah, it's hard to <laughs> say, but when, when, just for an example, when I, I, I thought about that a lot, and in China, there is a lot of sharing economy with bikes, a lot of current Ofo, a Mobike, uh, a lot of brands. And Ofo only has one bike, and this in thousands around the cities, maybe hundred thousands in the city. And nobody cares if this is like a, a better bike or not a better bike. And they are 100% shared. And nobody is willing to pay more to have a better bike. Mm. So I think when this sharing economy hits, there maybe will be some really, really big changes for our car companies that we know today. And maybe Didi has the answer and they produce their own boxes. Yeah, well, I mean, and I think that's a great way to wrap this up. Uh, I mean, with respect to the research uh, that, that has been conducted, I know that you've been working on as well, obviously, it's what it comes down to. It's making that transition uh, happen quickly and smoothly for everybody's sake. Um, uh, re with respect for your time, uh, we should probably wrap it up. Obviously, if there's any other angles or points you'd like to discuss, uh, please feel free, but I want to respect your time here. No, I think uh, it's good for me. The only thing I want to say is I think the German automotive manufacturers need to think if they want to be Lufthansa or Airbus, you know, oh, or well, both. Interesting. I think this will be the so question. Wait, Lufthansa or Airbus. So you're saying whether they want to be a, a, an individual carrier or they want to be a manufacturer. Yes, or both. But interesting. They, definitely need to find an answer for that huh okay okay that's that is an interesting point okay well how about we'll say this to be continued perhaps yeah yeah well great well michael zema anna kleisner thank you both so much for your time obviously it's been a huge uh, pleasure having you both on this podcast and i hope it goes without saying i would absolutely love to keep in touch i know we're all connected now anyway so uh yeah do keep in touch and um keep me posted on Frankly, all the ongoing research and work that you're doing. Obviously, we'd love to uh, stay in the loop. Thanks, Mark, for having us. It was a pleasure. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank it's you both. Perfect. Yep. Thank Bye -bye. you. Have a good evening. Have a good evening, Mark. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Well, that is a wrap for today. And I am recording another episode next week, believe it or not. Uh, not entirely sure when it's going to get published, but suffice to say, it should be another really great episode indeed. Uh, again, if you're interested at all in attending the three-day online event, Move America, which is running, by the way, from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. Pacific time, just head on over to hoagandco.com to get your free passes. Again, that's H-O-A-G-A-N-D-C-O.com. And with that, it is Friday, so thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. Until next time, bye-bye.